Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Yes, this is Rich Take on Sports. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We continue this week with episode number 14. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game is here, so that means summer is halfway over for many of us. And for some of you, the summer is already winding down because many schools are starting back up in early August. And to listen to previous episodes and also to make sure you don't miss future episodes, please stay connected. And one of those ways is by subscribing to the podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, and also you can follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. And if you forget all of that, just go to the one source that has it all. And that's our website, richtakeonsports.com. Now, I'm excited this week for the Rich Spotlight because this week our guest is Todd Jones, former Major League Baseball pitcher who spent 16 years as a relief pitcher in the majors. So let's not waste any more time. Let's move right into this week's guest in the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Our guest is Todd Jones, who played 16 seasons in the majors with eight different teams, beginning with the Houston Astros in 1989, where he was selected in the first round of the MLB draft after playing in college at Jacksonville State University in Jacksonville, Alabama. He made his big league debut in 1993 with the Astros, and his best season was in 2000 with the Detroit Tigers when he was named to the American League All-Star team and at the time set a team record league leading 42 saves and earned the Rolades Relief Man of the Year Award. He left Detroit in 2001 and played for several teams, ultimately coming back to the Tigers in 2006 and helping them advance to the 2006 World Series, losing to the St. Louis Cardinals. During the 2006 season, Todd also became the Tigers' all-time leader in saves and ultimately finished his career with 319 saves, which ranks him 19th in Major League Baseball all-time saves. He pitched in 982 games, all but one in relief, finishing with a 3.97 ERA in 1,072 innings pitched with 868 strikeouts. Todd was also a member of the first USA team to compete in the World Baseball Classic alongside Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, and Roger Clemens, and he holds the distinction of being the last pitcher to pitch at a Stork Tiger Stadium on September 27, 1999, before it was eventually demolished and replaced by Comerica Park when he struck out Carlos Beltran for the final out. And this past April, Todd was elected into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Now here's Todd Jones. All right, Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. I greatly appreciate you being in the Rich Spotlight. Thank you so much, man. It's uh, nice to talk to you today. 
Well, I know you've had a big honor just recently being inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. And I just needed to get your thoughts before we dive into the impact of sports in your life. What does that mean, that type of honor being inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame? Well, it's a, it's a tremendous honor because, you know, when you don't, you don't play sports to do that kind of stuff. Uh, somebody thinks you're, uh, you're pretty good at what you did. That's a, that's an honor in and of itself. And for them to, uh, you know, recognize you this far out of retirement is just a tribute to, uh, to them and, and, uh, what I was able to accomplish. So I'm grateful for it. Now. So let's walk back to the early days and that eventually led to you being inducted into the Alabama sports hall of fame. What's your earliest memories of sports and in, in being involved in sports? I think, you know, playing baseball when I was a little kid, I started like everybody else did in five-year-old t-ball and little league and on up into high school and college. And probably about my sophomore, junior year in college, maybe I realized that uh, maybe I could do this for a living because I got drafted out of high school, but I didn't take, I didn't think it was, I wasn't ready for that. So uh, my, soft, my sophomore, junior year in college you know, was really when, you know, baseball, as you, as you continue to play baseball kind of chooses you as you, as you get going through the journey, because the, the, you know, the talent level is, is so high and there comes a point in everybody's you know career when, you know, you're not able to do the things that you once were able to do. And, um, you know, once I realized that I was still having success at a, at a decently high level, um, I decided that, you know, this is what I want to do. So, it all worked out. I stayed healthy, played a long time in the major league. You know, proud of my career and the opportunities. And, uh, you know, now just kind of waiting to see what's coming down the pipe now. And so growing up, was baseball the only sport that you played or were you multiple sport player? No, I, I played uh, baseball and basketball, but I wasn't very good. I could never anticipate. I was always one, one pass, one step, one thought behind. I could, uh, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any college uh scholarship offers and uh you know baseball kind of kind of took over had a had a full scholarship to college so i i chose that and uh, uh i'm glad because i don't think my body could have could have held up playing basketball now with the evolution of aau and travel baseball all of that when you were growing up were you involved you know from that aspect of it as well yeah i mean you know, you have to remember that was a long time ago when I was going through the the little leagues and the high schools and even college. Uh, you know, there's, there's been so much change nowadays. Every sport wants these players to play sports year round, to yeah. play their sport year round. It's a uh, ten or eleven month process through whether it's football in the summer or seven on seven, or basketball with AAU in the summer and then, and then, and then baseball as well with, uh, you know, summer ball and tournaments, things of that nature. So, uh, I kind of feel bad for the, for the kids growing up today because they don't get the opportunity that if they're an athlete to be an athlete in other sports and see if they like it, they have to choose by the time they're 10th or 11th grade and, you know, hope they choose correctly because, uh, it's awfully competitive to get a college scholarship and to, you know, to play to play professionally is not even on people's radars until you're able to, you know, do well in college. 
did you have dreams and aspirations though growing up that you wanted to be a major league pitcher? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, all the kids dream of in the backyard playing wiffle ball, hitting the home run in game seven of the World Series. But, you know, when the reality when the reality starts to hit, you get into college and, you know, you're lucky enough to play pro ball and you start moving up the levels from rookie ball to A ball into double A and up into triple A, you know, then you realize, you know, you're just happy to be on the team because, uh, you know, the talent level is so, so amazing that uh, – you just you're just thankful you still got a uniform most time. So in high school, then you'd mentioned that you had a scholarship opportunity, Jacksonville State University in Alabama. Were there other schools recruiting you, and how did you make the decision for Jacksonville State? Well, I kind of think that uh, you know academics chose me. Uh, academics helped me pick my college because I wasn't very good academic. You know, I had I had larger offers that other colleges at Clemson and Auburn and Georgia Tech and things like that that I could I could pitch at, but I couldn't academically stay eligible. I wasn't a I wasn't a good student, didn't know how to study, didn't understand uh, deadlines and things like that. So, you know, Jacksonville State was a was a smaller school and at the time they had they had the teachers with the ability to, you know, help you with with special meetings or uh, you know, staying after class and helping you understand the information so you could you could score well and stay eligible and that's you know that was my whole uh that was my whole plan I mean I went to college I went to college to get a better job because I knew you know I knew I wanted to play baseball and then as you get into your college career you know doing well and and performing kind of put an exclamation on that so that's one thing that I really regret is is uh wasting the opportunity that I had to be very close to my my college degree, but I don't think I'll ever have the opportunity to go back and finish that degree because uh, I'm I'm still so far away. But you know, and everything's changed now. I mean my gosh, if you don't if you don't have X amount of hours each year towards your degree and you don't maintain a certain grade point average, you're you're out. So everything's changed now for the better. And uh, I'm just glad I came through at the time I did. At Jacksonville State, then you get drafted uh, by the Houston Astros. Walk the listeners through the feeling of heading to the majors, but you're really just starting the grind of going through the minors first before you actually get to the big leagues. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, you don't understand how the how the system and how the process works. You know, I get drafted by the by the Mets out of high school three years before I got drafted by the Astros out of out of college. I didn't sign with the Mets. I didn't sign with the Mets because of their 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 starting pitching staff was so good. I figured I better wait on another school. That's how stupid that I was. So <laughs> when I got drafted by the Astros, you know, I didn't know anything. I just figured I would just kind of blow through and see what happens, stay healthy, and keep keep my nose down to the grindstone. I would I would end up making it, and and you know, it's a whole different ball of wax once you get in there. So. You, you know, you need some breaks, you need to stay healthy, you need to have people in the front office that believe in you. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I was fortunate enough to have that. And, you know, it all just kind of worked out because I was able to, uh, I was able to pitch, pitch well, throw hard, throw strikes, and, uh, you know, learn my, learn my craft. So in the minors, were you in a reliever role at that point, or were you a starting pitcher? No, I was a uh, I was a starting pitcher in college. I was a starting pitcher in pro ball, 
but I was having trouble because of the pitch limits. I was having trouble getting through the fifth or the sixth inning in pro ball, and I was killing the bullpen every single night I would start. I was probably on the Astros' depth chart at that time. There were there were several other you know starting pitchers that were way better than I was. All right, so Todd, you know, as you're talking about moving from you know the starting pitcher to relief pitcher, were there coaches or other pitchers that helped you you know, kind of make that transition or who do you lean on? I think back in the day, the way the, the Astros framed it to me really took a lot of the pressure off because uh, they were saying, Hey, you know, we're just going to try this for, for a year. See if it works. If you like it, if you're good at it, we may stick with it. If you're not having success, you don't enjoy it. You can go right back in the rotation. That kind of took some of the anxiety off of getting out of the gate and performing well and things like that. So I was able to just kind of go with flow. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it pretty early and did it and you know did well. So uh, I was a natural fit, like I said before. Okay. Yeah. And at that point, was it was there a true defined closer when you were first making that transition? Oh yeah. Um, the Tigers. I was the. Uh, I was a closer in Double A that year. Made the Double A All Star team, and uh, you know had a lot of success and set a uh, league record for games pitched. So I could take the I could take the beatings, I could take the abuse, and you know that was that's all that's all part of being a reliever as well is not your ability, but some nights your availability, and that uh, that was a strong suit I had. As you can see, you know in my career, almost pitching a thousand games, I was able to take the I was able to take the ball when they needed it. How was that day when you got the call up to the big leagues and describe that to our listeners? Well, I was playing, it was 1993, it was July 7th, and the AAA team that I was on was in uh, Edmonton, Canada. We were playing in the in the Pacific Coast League, and I got the call the night before. And, you know, you, you lose it with your coach and give him <laughs> hugs and tell him you name your baby after him and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Then you know, you, and then I call. You know, you have to call call your wife first, and you call your parents. And then you know, six o'clock in the morning, I'm on a flight going through custom, headed to Houston because the Astros were playing at home. They were playing the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I I get there about when batting practice starts. I'm exhausted, been traveling all day, and connections, and changing flights, and all this stuff. And I make it to batting practice, and I get to hit all this stuff. And uh, Tim Wakefield was the pitcher that night for the Pirates. And uh, it's probably the second inning and Wakefield's first at-bat. He hits a home run in the second deck of the Astrodome, which was like at least 415, 420 feet away. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, self, you've gotten yourself into a, uh, <laughs> into a predicament because that was a pitcher that just hit a ball in the second deck. So, um, but you know what? Uh, as it was, the Astros lost that night, and I got to pitch. They got me right out there. I pitched two and a third inning scoreless. My first major league major league hitter that I faced was a guy named Don Slot, and I struck him out. You know, I said I pitched like two and two-thirds innings. The guy that came in for me, I left with bases loaded, so he got out of it for me, and I didn't give up any runs. So I was grateful for that. You know, they told me when I got called up, keep your mouth shut. You're going up there for two weeks because the pitcher named Greg Swindell had pulled an oblique and he was coming back off the DL. And that was that was 15 and a half years later. Um, I never got sent back down. And 
you know, was able to able to do my thing. Walk us through the journey of now getting from the major leagues and then, you know, you're with the Astros for a time period, but then you get traded to the Tigers and what those emotions were like, you know, getting traded after you kind of start building, you know, your career in yeah, Houston. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be, again, you're naive because you don't understand, you know, you, you know, you make it to the major leagues and you're just, you're just trying to establish your career. So I was there for, I was there for three years, three and a half years. And, the Astros had another pitcher come along by the name of Billy Wagner, and he ended up with 440 staves. So they decided to they decided to stick with him and trade me. So in December, after my after my third year in the winter, I got traded to the Tigers in a in a ten man ten man swap. There was five going one way and five going the other way, and uh, not not too big of names, not anything anybody would remember, but. But it's a big so, deal for the number of players. That's a lot of players in one deal. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I was—I didn't know any of this at the time, but I was the only one in the bullpen for the Astros that was arbitration eligible. I was going to make a, you know, a million bucks or so. So the so the Astros didn't want to didn't want to pay me a million dollars to pitch the seventh inning. So they traded me to Detroit, and I was there. I I was their closer. And then, and then halfway through '97, I was doing really well, and they they offered me a three-year contract extension, and I took it. This was probably your beginning of learning that there is a true business side to baseball as well. Well, no, I mean, I had I was lucky enough my rookie year, 1993. So 1994, we went out on strike. That was August. That was August the 12th, and '94, and they canceled the World Series and. We were late for spring training, so I was the player rep for the Astros. Share that whole situation because yeah. that's very yeah. interesting. So, me being the me being a rookie, being a being an Astros player rep is not a good combination because I didn't <laughs> I didn't know what the heck was going on. I was just trying to relay information to all my teammates, what the union and what the owners were talking about, things like that. I had the opportunity to, you know, if I was going out on strike and I was going to cancel the World Series and understand everything that that was at stake, I wanted to learn everything I could about it. So um, I began to uh, be involved with the Players Association on a on a on a daily basis during the strike and learn learn the backstory, learn learn the information, so I could relay it to my teammates in a manner that I knew what I was talking about. So I was. I was lucky enough to be in Washington D.C. when now Commissioner Rob Manford, who was the uh, lead counsel for the owners, was summoned to the White House by Bill Clinton, along with Jay Bell and Tom Glavin, and a few of the owners, to try to, you know, reconcile this strike situation because Bill Clinton was going to get to the bottom of it. And and I was in that I was in that room, and everybody's like, dude, they just called Tom Glavin and Jay Bell to the White House. And that's when I knew that you know this was this was way bigger than some good old boy from Jacksonville State, and and I mean it ended up being a it ended up being a major ordeal that the players and the owners and the fans and everybody had to go through. But when we finally got so when we finally got to the other side of the end of it in 1995, you know I had learned a I had learned a great deal, and there hasn't been a strike since because it was so damaging and so painful on both sides. So. We're glad we haven't had a strike in 25 years, and I think I think it's because of you know what that what that last strike did to to the industry. It, it almost killed it. 
you know, fast forward a couple years, and then, you know, you know how it goes when you get traded. You get your feelings hurt. You, you get your butt hurt a little bit, and, and you uh, – but you move on because, you know, one team's happy to have you, and the other team is happy to get rid of you, and you just look at the one that's happy to have you. And it ended up being uh, it ended up being great for me. I was able to be a be a closer in a uh, town that didn't have a very good team, so I was learning on the job. And when I blew saves, it wasn't that big a deal because the Tigers at that time weren't weren't very good. As I kind of developed, learned how to be a closer, the Tigers started to get better. And then you know, fast forward a few more years, a few more trades, a few more releases, and. Uh, I'm back with the Tigers in 2006, pitching in the World Series, pitching in, you know. So there was, there was, uh, you know, timing. Timing is is everything. You know, me having the opportunity to do what I did, you know, learn on the job, so to speak, when you're when you're relieving on a bad team, and then so when the team is good, you're ready to, to do your part. Is a uh, is a is a great blessing. While you were still that first initial run with the Tigers. 2000, you have a really good season, 42 saves, and get selected to the All-Star uh, team. Walk us through what that was like when your name's getting called to be you know, on the All-Star team. Well, having the opportunity, I, I mean, I was having I was having probably the best year of my career. So I was, I was to the point I was leading the league in saves. I, you know, my ERA was under two. I was a few saves ahead of – I was a few saves ahead of Rivera at the time. And so I'm thinking – you know, if I don't make this team, I'm going to be upset. But when you get told that you made the team, you know, it's, you're real excited. And, and that all-star game that year was 2000. So that ended up being Derek Jeter was MVP of the world of the uh, all-star game that year. Um, I had a chance to, during batting practice with the American League all-stars, take, uh, take ground balls at shortstop with Alex Rodriguez, Nomar, and Jeter. So that was pretty sweet. Um, but, you know, being in that room on that night is uh, is a tremendous honor because, you know, those are those are Hall of Famers that you're rubbing elbows with now. Um, you know, that's a whole different ball of wax. So that was that was great. Joe Torrey was the manager. So I threw the seventh I, I threw the seventh in, did my job and had a lot of fun. And, and uh, Derek Jeter was the MVP. So that was, yeah. a, that was a pretty good night. Home run derby the night before was great. You know, it was just a special time in your career to watch Griffey Jr. and Sammy Sosa and yeah. Chipper Jones and Carlos Delgado feed in a home run derby is a special thing. And now, so I know you have a job to do, and I presume, you know, there's an aspect where you have tunnel vision and you're focused. But were there ever moments, as you know, you're kind of describing when you're seeing some of these future Hall of Famers, but were there ever moments in your career like, okay, my goodness, look who I'm about to have to pitch to? I can remember facing uh, facing Barry Bonds my rookie year, my first time I faced him. I was thinking to myself, you know, for 30 seconds, he has to give me his undivided attention. <laughs> and I always thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. Um, but the longer that I was able to play, the more comfortable I got, the more I felt like I was a peer. You know, you were just out there trying to do your job, trying to, uh, you know, trying to get them out. Sometimes they got me and sometimes I got them. And, you know, over the, over the course of the season, we had some good laughs and, things like that. There were certain hitters that would wear me out and there were certain hitters that I would wear out for no apparent reason. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's just baseball. That's just the way it goes. You, you know, you make good pitches, you're going to get people out. And if you don't make good pitches, you're going to get hurt. So you just gotta, you just gotta 
you know, make good pitches as you go. And hopefully the good pitches out, outweigh the bad pitches. Were there any situations where, not that you regret, but like, man, I, I, I made a mistake to this one batter that you keep on your hard drive that you just kind of dwell on? Or have you been able to almost have amnesia, just eh, forget about it, move on? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were thousands of mistakes I made, but uh, there were also thousands of mistakes that I got away with. You know, you never really, I mean, sure, you walk in the next day after you give up a game-winning home run, and, you know, you watch the at-bat, and you, and you think about what were you thinking to come to that conclusion to make that pitch. But, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of wash it off and get ready for the next day because the starting pitcher today needs you as much as the guy did last night. So you've got to learn to just kind of compartmentalize and move on. But, I mean, there were some that, as they're going over the fence, really hurt. But, you know, I got them occasionally, too. So it all it all kind of it all kind of evens out. As you mentioned, your career kind of comes full circle as you end your career with Detroit. But they're, you know, in between, you know, from 2001 to you rejoin the Tigers in 2006, multiple teams. Was that affecting your your psyche, you know, your confidence, you know, by moving to different teams? Sure. I mean, you know, you uh, during my magical mystery tour of two or three years in my career right okay. there that I was all over the place. Yeah. I was in uh, Minnesota, Colorado, Boston, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Florida. You know, there was a lot of times that, you know, I was thinking, what am I, what, what are you doing? Okay. You know, I mean, you're wasting your time or, you know, whatever. But, you know, two of those I got traded for at the trade deadline, and then the other two I got released from. So that was a push. The only really miserable year I had to suffer through was 2003, and that's that's with Colorado, and that was the, that was the time in my life where, little voice leans over the, the wall when I was getting loose one night and the little girl asked me if she, if, if I was sure I was right-handed. And I think at that point, that was when I realized that I was, wasn't doing too good and I needed to kind of try to try to do a little bit better. But I had 11, I had 11 years in at that time and I was thinking, well, if this is it, then this is it. But you know, it ended up not being it. Let me tell you something. I mean, you know, you're an athlete, you know what it's like. There's, you go through ups and downs every single season you play. You're the greatest of all time, and or and then the next week you're the worst pitcher that ever walked the planet. So, you know, you go through that all the time. You just got to kind of deal with each day as it comes to you and take what you got and work with it and see what happens. So now during some of those struggles, what did you do to – did you have certain people that you would mentor you to help you, and what other things did you – go through to help you, you know, regain your confidence as you're kind of hitting some of those low spots in your career? I mean, you know, my faith has always been a big part of me because, you know, when I'm going good or when I'm going bad, that's the that's the one constant that's always going to be there in your life. And, you know, when you get shaken all the way to the core of, you know, the athlete that you think you are, question a lot of, a lot of things that you want to, uh, you know, you want to experience. And you just want to do what, what God wants you to do. You know, there were times in those, in those days that I was wondering if I was just still be playing baseball. But, you know, I mean, my wife was great about – she would always just say, hey, let's go home. I'm done. Let's go home. I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Okay. What do you mean go home? I don't want to go home. And she's like, all right, well, then there's your answer. Go out there and pitch or don't, but do yeah. something. Even and if it's the wrong decision, make it. Make you know it. what I mean? That's Even right. Yeah, yeah, you got to, you gotta, you know, put your big boy pants on because you're going to get – you're going to get humbled. You're going to get dominated, and you got to pick your 
pick yourself up and go yeah. or go home. And, you know, it was pretty simple. So I didn't have anything else going on at home. So I figured I'd just keep coming to the park. And that turned into five or six more years. Now, you'd mentioned shaken to the core. Was there one particular moment that you're talking about being shaken to the core? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, go back and look at 2003 uh, with the Colorado Rockies. I mean, I had 30, 31 innings and I had almost 70 hits. I, I gave up back-to-back-to-back home runs. Never done that before. I gave up six, I gave up six runs one night against the Dodgers and didn't get an out. Never done that before. Uh, I was terrible. Terrible. The Rockies, the Rockies said, uh, you know, you need to leave. So I got released and signed the next day in Boston. And uh, was was there in 2003 when uh, Aaron Boone hit the home run yeah. for the Yankees in Game yeah. Seven to to put them in the World Series and beat the Red Sox. So you know my career I thought was over, but it wasn't. And you know you just got to keep you just got to keep going. 2003 was probably the benchmark of my misery. Now was your faith prominent in that year that helped you you know through that difficult year? Well, I mean you know I always try to be the same guy all the time. And, you know, I would, I would come and go depending on how well I was doing like anybody else. But um, I, didn't, I didn't really get serious about my faith until after going through 2003. So I would say that, you know, what I had to go through in 2003 kind of, you know, helped me decide if, this, if I was going to wholeheartedly follow, follow Jesus or yeah. was I going to uh, – was I just going to have him as a good luck charm in my back pocket? Because that good luck charm, in the, that good luck charm in the back pocket doesn't work. I decided that I was going to be, uh, you know, fully committed to whatever happened. If it's getting released and, you know, breaking my arm and and ending my career, that's okay. I was just going to continue to follow where God has for me because it says in the Bible that, you know, if He's going to close the door, He's going to open another one before He closes the first one. So. You know, your opportunities are there. You just have to know where to look. Well, then your door continues to open up. You know, as you mentioned, you're, you somewhat resurrect your career, you know, have a great year with Florida Marlins in 2005, and then you go back to Detroit and then eventually into the World Series. Detroit finally is, you know, a winning team. And talk through what all the emotions were as you reach the, obviously, the pinnacle of making it to a World Series. Yeah, I think the renaissance in Detroit started around 2000. Four and five. The Tigers were really, really awful in 2003. They lost 112 games or something like that. They were miserable. You know, Mr. Illich, the owner of the Tigers at the time, in 2004 brought in Pudge Rodriguez, and that was kind of the first big piece to try to get other other players to come. And then 2005, the Tigers back back Pudge up by signing Maglio Ordonez. And then 2000, 2006 was Kenny Rogers and I came over as free agents. So uh, there was a couple rookies that came up, some guy named Justin Verlander that ended <laughs> up being probably a Hall of Famer. And then another year, and then another rookie that year was a guy named Joel, Joel Zumaya that probably had the best arm I ever saw. You know, there was a, there was a lot of good players with a lot of good talent on a, on, a, on a team that was very hungry to win. And we won 95 games that year. And first round of the playoffs, we – played the Yankees and beat them. And then we uh, swept the Oakland A's in the American League Championship. And then had to wait a week, Cardinals in uh, in the 2006 World Series. But I would have, uh, I'd rather uh, had a, had lost the World Series than to have never gone. So it was a great experience. It was a, 
it was a tremendous thrill and a great run and glad to be a part of it. And then, so where was it in your career, you know, as you're still with Detroit that you did come to that decision? It's time to put the glove up and, and move on to another chapter in my life. I was pretty lucky. You know, I, I had it beat out of me. I knew my last year was my last year. I was, I was, you know, I, I'd had enough. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to physically bounce back from a night game into a day game. You know, I, my family was like, Hey, you know, check, please. What are we going to do? Are, okay. are you ready to go? And so, uh, you know, I knew I was lucky, man. I was, I was fortunate to, to play as long as I wanted to. And, you know, when I retired, I never looked back. I was grateful to be able to go out that, that way because a lot of players don't get that chance. So now as you moving on to different things in your life, you've been involved with sports your entire life. How would you describe, you know, the life lessons that you've learned from being involved in sports for such a long period of your life? I think sports for me was, was somewhat of my version of the military because I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of discipline. I didn't have a lot of uh, stick to I didn't have a lot of fight in me uh, that I thought I didn't have a lot of fight in me, but I ended up having a lot of fight in me that, that was revealed by playing sports. You know, anybody that plays sports for a long time has a, has a better understanding, I feel, of how to deal with life because life sends you in all kinds of different directions and you have to be able to adjust. And, you know, like I said, I look back at my career and I wouldn't change a thing, but if I was 10 years old and you told me I was going to have to go to Detroit and, or go play for eight, eight major league teams, I'd be like, no, that's stupid. I want to stay and play for the Braves. (laughs) But that's not the way, you know, that's not the way, that's not the way life is. There's a lot of things that are handed to people that they don't ask for. And you just have to have to learn how to deal with that and uh, how to how to overcome and adapt and a lot like the military the military teaches to adapt and overcome and adjust and and get it done same thing in baseball except you don't get shot at so you have an opportunity to uh, you have an opportunity to push through things and see that some things aren't as bad as you think they are and you know you can you can make it happen Todd as we're finishing up here you know I ask all the guests to Share words of wisdom and anything that you want the listeners to, you know, hear that you've leaned on over the years that have been impactful in your life. And, you know, it's just an opportunity to to share some of those words of wisdom. Well, I just think, uh, you know, I tell I tell kids all the time, you know, people people think, wow, what's it like to, you know, do what I had the opportunity to do. And it's it's amazing. It's afforded me opportunities to meet some of the coolest people in the world um, from presidents of the United States to senators to you know Rudy Giuliani six months after 9-11 to Hollywood actors to all kind of musicians and things like that and things that people look up to and then I had a, had an opportunity to you know play baseball for a living uh, there's an umpire every game when they when they start the game he points at the pitcher and what's he say he says play ball I mean, I never had I never I never had to work a day in my life, so I'm okay. you know grateful for that. And I had a chance to you know play with some cool teammates and several 50, 60, 100 Hall of Famers. You know, it all it all boils down to uh, really ultimately, it all boils down to to all of that's great and all of that's wonderful and all of that's an amazing opportunity. But 
through my journey in life, I've learned that, you know, God is really the only thing that matters. Fame comes and goes and, you know, money comes and goes and friends come and go. But, you know, God was there way before I started and he'll be there way after I'm gone because he's over and above everything. And uh, there's a there's a passage in Jeremiah uh, chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. And it basically says, thus says the Lord, those who boast in their wisdom shouldn't be boasting in their wisdom. And those who boast in their strength shouldn't be boasting in your strength. Those who boast in your knowledge shouldn't be boasting in your knowledge. But if you're going to boast, boast in this, boast in the fact that you know the Lord, that he's your he's your righteous, loving father that can uh, that can that can save your soul and guide your guide your steps. You know, all the other stuff in my life is, is just noise because, uh, you know, my relationship with God, my relationship with my family and my kids is, is really, at the end of the day, all that all that matters. So I've been around the world and seen a lot of things, and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, what you, what you had when you're on your deathbed, you ain't worried about how much money you got. You're worried about family and you're worried about your, of your, of your wife and you're worried about your relationship with God. And that's, that's the one thing I've learned. Very well said. Those are definitely some significant words of wisdom. And I greatly appreciate you sharing those, Todd. And obviously, I greatly appreciate the time of just hearing your journey and what sports has meant to you and what it's led to. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time. No problem, man. Thank you. And good luck to you and your, and your podcast. I think it's pretty awesome. Now, hopefully after listening to Todd, you can understand a little bit more of his journey and what sports has meant to him. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily a major league baseball star, but you do understand he played in the majors for 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. That's amazing. The average baseball career is five and a half years at best. And after he got the call to the bigs in 1993, He actually never had to do another stint in the minors, which is even more remarkable. Now, that's just a testament to him being a workhorse, staying healthy, and having the mental toughness to bounce back game after game as a closer. It also just shows that you also need people that are the steady eddies of the world and are always there for you. They might not be the superstar up on stage getting all the awards, but they're the ones getting the tenure award for career longevity and dependability. Even Todd said it best, sometimes it's not your ability, but your availability. And that definitely defined his career. Well, that's the close to episode 14, and I look forward to the next episode. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 